Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday, it's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Welcome to the Ringers, Philly special, Shiel Kapalia, joined by Ben Solak, ace producer, Cliff Augustine. We took some little time off. I mean, we, wait, we recorded last week, right? Was last week the, no, did we take a week off? I don't even remember. I think we took some time off. I think the last time we spoke, we were talking offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. I had not watched the Super Bowl film yet, Ben. I have watched the Super Bowl film now. I have takes on that. And then we will, of course, have to discuss the Eagles coordinator Stuff. How are you doing? You're in Indianapolis. You're in draft mode. You're ready to schmooze. Yes. You're ready to mingle. You're ready to rub elbows with Nick I'm never Sirianni ready to do that. Say, what are I'm you doing so, at defensive coordinator? I'm so bad at that. I'm not ready to do that. I'm ready to talk Eagles draft picks whenever you are ready for. However, this is a this is a okay. It is a bad class. I all of the positions except for the ones the Eagles need. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm very stoked. Oh, interesting. All right. That's good to know. I've been doing my free agency uh, write-ups. I think I've done the top 20 players, and I think I got three pl- three Eagles, Hargrave, Bradbury, and Gardner Johnson, all in the top 20. I'll take that all the way to 100 for the ringer. So, do you see so what, what do you think they're going to th- franchise Chauncey Gardner Johnson? I'm oh, sorry. I totally just leapfrogged the entire yeah. agenda. No, that's okay. Uh, I did see that. I don't really believe that they're going to do that because they don't have a lot of cap. This is the one year, like, you can talk about Eagles cap stuff every year and go, no, it's fake. You can do this. You can do that. This is, like, one year where they actually don't have a lot of avenues to restructure deals and uh, create that cap flexibility. I mean, they are kind of tight up against it. They'll restructure Darius Slay. They'll restructure Lane Johnson. And that's about it. So to have one player, uh, I don't know what the number is for safeties. I don't think it's that high. 14.46. 14. And all of that counts against your cap uh, this year. That would surprise me. So maybe yeah. it's kind of a tactic that, yeah, we'll do that and then we'll work out a long-term deal. But uh, that that would surprise me if they actually did do that. Now, what, you, what do you think our listeners... Well, actually, Cliff, I need you in here, Cliff. I mean, the people want to know, how are you, Cliff, first of all? Are you refreshed? Did you get any time off? Or did just we get some time off last week? I've been sulking in the loss of the Eagles losing the Super Bowl. You know, as you know, Shell, I live in Brooklyn as of right now. And, you know, a lot of New Yorkers, they've been coming up to me, 
Yeah, man, you you and all your Philly guys, what happened? We was rooting for y'all, blah, blah, blah. You lost you lost this money, this, that, and the third. I'm just like, bro, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I just watched my team have an incredible season and just lose in the Super Bowl. So the last thing I want to hear is about your damn bet on FanDuel. You probably want to make it up Cliff's anyway. also, uh, and Then I had to watch Cliff sulking after uh, uh, Sixers losses too, which is great. Cause I get on, I get on Twitter to be to be real heated after a Sixers loss, and top of my cl- my timeline is just like, man, Max has got the yips from Cliff. And I'm like, he does. Thank you. <laughs> so as you know, I give out all the Sixers takes. Uh, ben Ben knows that he always likes and favorites my stuff. Appreciate oh, that, you, by the way, man. Um, yeah, Saturday night, Saturday night, I was chilling with a couple friends um, that are from Philly that live up here in Brooklyn with me as well, and we were out, you know, watching the game. Uh, before we had went out and got a couple more drinks or whatever. And then, you know, we just see Jason Tatum, who should be a Sixer, just do it behind the back, step back three, and call a game on the Sixers in Philly after a tightly contested uh, contested battle. So, you know, last week really wasn't the best, but, you know, it felt good to not really have to to do too much work. So, there you, go. Uh, you know, I'm here. Yeah, so-and-so. I'm All right, player. so I, here, here was my question uh, to you. So we basically just have two segments here. One is, as I mentioned, uh, we haven't talked about the film from the Super Bowl, and I feel like I have some lasting impressions that I need to go on the record with about how I feel about that performance having watched the film. So that's going to be one segment. Ben and I are going to talk about that. And then the second segment will just be talking about some of the coordinator stuff that's going on, the latest rumors, who they're looking at. So Cliff, as like an Eagles fan, as the guy who knows our audience, what should we do first? Do you think people are like, get the Super Bowl stuff out of the way, let's get to it? Or are they like, let's just chill, let's ease into it, give us the coordinator stuff, and then get to the Super Bowl stuff? So you need to decide, as uh, I call you our ace producer, what we'd lead off with here. I think the people want to hear about the coordinator okay. stuff. I think, right. everybody wants to, I think everybody wants to put the Super Bowl back in their mind. Okay. So I, I think they want to know, like, well, all right, look, we lost. What's next? Okay. So that, that's the feeling gotcha. I get. All right. So we'll do that maybe in the show notes. Now, I, I think if you're listening to this and going, I, I want to just, I don't want to hear anything about the Super Bowl. I feel like there's some interesting stuff, some unique takes out of the Super Bowl that maybe people have not talked about yet. So I would say, listen to that segment if you can stomach it. But Cliff, maybe you can put in the show notes when we start talking about that, just in case there's a segment that says we don't want to listen to it. I got you. And can I also give the people a feel of how depressing that night was in Philadelphia? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the, I'll, 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 oh, I'll give my take. Segment? You guys okay. All right. We'll finish with that. We'll yeah, finish yeah, the yeah. show with that. And then hit me. And then, yeah. Just hit me back. I'll be writing the notes right there here. There you go. All right. We'll do that. All right, Ben. So let's talk about the coordinator uh, situation. I think it was Adam Schefter who said, like, take it to the bank. Brian Johnson is going to be the offensive coordinator, even though that has not been announced yet. And then the defensive coordinators, they're still doing work on. But I think the most recent news today, I believe, was from NFL Network that said Sean Desai, uh, who was coaching with the Seahawks last year, was their assistant head coach, was in town for a second round of interviews interviewing for uh, interviewing in person. And since we last spoke, Vance Joseph has gone back uh, to Denver. Jim Leonard is yeah. not going to be a candidate. So it seems like Desai is probably the favorite uh, for this job. So just kind of how do you feel uh, about those two potential moves? Do you like Desai as a hire? Are you okay with the process? Where are you with where they are with these coordinators? So yeah, defensively, firstly, I think we did a good job. We did a good job calling some of the hot, the uh, interviews. We talked about Vance. We talked about Desai. We brought up Mike Zimmer. No Mike Zimmer interview. Uh, that makes me sad. I wish they had brought in Zimmer. Yeah. I will say, yeah. I will say one of the things that's been cool is the number of college guys that they've interviewed, right? Like Jesse Minter, the DC from Michigan. Glenn Schumann, it was reported today, is staying at Georgia and not taking the job, which I missed the fact that they were interviewing Glenn Schumann, but they were interviewing Glenn Schumann. And then, of course, Jim Leonard, uh, the Wisconsin, D.C., which we were all very excited about for 24 hours because Jim Leonard is incredible. Uh, and it turns out he wants, like, hip surgery or something, which, scared to compete, whatever. Um, but I like that you're bringing in these college defensive coaches because a large part of the interview process is finding the new defensive coordinator. A secondary but still meaningful part of the interview process is hey how would you solve how would you have solved the Mahomes problem what would you have done 
just curious. Like you, you know, you, you Georgia guys been around Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. What would have been your uh, your solution there, Chief? And then you just he puts it, he puts it on the board for an hour in front of Nick Sirianni, and Sirianni caches that information. Like, yeah, he's not a defensive coach, but still, it's talking about philosophy. It's talking about approach. It's talking about cutting edge and like what what are creative guys at the college level doing to solve their problems. It's just greasing like the wheels of ingenuity. It's it's it's, it's sparking ideas. And so I love the fact they bring in a, a different guys from college and they talk to those dudes. If they're landing on Sean Desai, I think there's a lot of good, and then there's some worry. The good is that the biggest improvement defensively from 2021 to 2022 was directly, incontrovertibly, the Fangioization of Jonathan Gannon's defense. In 2021, they were not running Fangio stuff. They were running Matt Eberflus stuff from the Colts. They were running four-man rush and play cover two and play zone and, and just drop to an area and put eyes on the quarterback and try to be good in zone coverage. In 2022, they walk out and they got a nose tackles. They got odd fronts. They got quarters coverage, which... Some of that was like they didn't have the personnel in 2021 to do it, but a big part of it was Vic Fangio was consulting for the team, as we know. So this defense got Fangio-assized and took a big step. Sean Desai was previously uh, the Bears' safeties coach, defense quality control coach under Vic Fangio when he was there in Chicago, uh, is a Fangio disciple. And if he is hired, he will retain the Fangioization of this defense. I think that is largely good news for the defense. That is the system that has been successful in the NFL recently, and it certainly has been successful for the Eagles. The thing that I worry about is that Desai has some of the same problems that Gannon does. Uh, from what you've seen from him coordinating the Bears defense and then his influence over the the Seahawks defense, uh, his team would like run to issues stopping the run, and Desai would have no like in-game solutions to that. Like How many games did we see the Seahawks just give up 30, 35 points, 40 points? The Lions game, the Raiders game, but they're just getting beat the exact same way every single drive, and they have no ability to respond to it on the defensive side. Now, he was not the defensive coordinator last year, but you saw the same thing in Chicago. Bad personnel, though. So maybe that, they go, oh, that's why, you know, whatever. So you can color in the lines if you want, but Desai, like, Desai's a branch off the Fangio tree, and that's good, but it also means that he kind of solves and addresses everything within the family of this defense. It has the same strengths and the same weaknesses as all the other Fangio iterations across the NFL. And offenses are catching up. They're learning how to handle this defense. You have to stay on the cutting edge. You can't just be like a Gannon where you put your guys out there, you say, all right, let's run our stuff, and then you run into an elite quarterback, and, and, and subsequently you run into trouble. Uh, so I like I like Desai kind of keep it in the family. I think it would be a solid hire. I would worry about the same things that I worried about with Jonathan Gannon. If you get caught taking water over the bow second quarter, are you going to make adjustments? Are you going to have different pitches in your, in your bag, different arrows in your quiver to solve these problems creatively? I haven't seen that from Desai over the course of his career, and that'd be my big question if you were the D.C. the Eagles. Yeah, I think it's hard to know. I, I think sometimes we do this when we're looking at coaches say, all right, he coached with this guy, this guy, and this guy. This is the defense you're going to get. I mean, the, the truth is he's only had one season as a defensive coordinator calling play. So like we don't, you know, the Seahawks stuff from last year, like we don't exactly know mm -hmm. what did he want to do? What did, you know, he was not the defensive coordinator. He was not calling uh, the defense. In fact, the uh, defensive coordinator there is the one who brought him in. So it's not like, you know, he was in a position to certainly help offer ideas and coach the defense, but he was not directing the defense. So I think we need to keep that in mind. 2021 was Desai's only year as a defensive coordinator with the Bears. They were 13th in defensive DVOA. They were 10th in weighted DVOA. If you look at their roster, you'd probably say that was, uh, you know, you're overachieving a little bit uh, with that group there. They did not have a lot of talent on that roster. Robert Quinn had a terrific year. They had yeah. Roquan Smith. They had Eddie, Eddie Jackson, uh, but a lot of areas there Jalen Johnson? on that roster. Yes. Kendall Vildor, I believe was their other quarterback there. Yeah. So it was not I can a lot go, of I can juice. go 2020 uh, Bears yeah. defensive players back and forth with no, you all yeah, night, We don't baby. need to do that. Uh -huh, Clay I Dix saw you were still itching there? to do that. Okay. Um, so I was just looking at some of their numbers. They were middle of the pack in terms of blitz percentage. They were middle of the pack in terms of man coverage. As you alluded to, they played a lot of, uh, you know, split safety zone, a lot of cover six there. They also played cover three, cover one. I mean, they're, so it's like I looked at it and I go, all right, there's not a ton I can kind of glean from what uh, what he did there. So uh, if you're looking at Desai, what he's got uh, going for him, you know, he lasted through three different coaching staffs in Chicago, which is pretty rare, which means somebody saw something from him or that every time they interviewed him, they were like, okay, let's keep him around. Uh, this guy's good. The Seahawks, I believe, were pretty aggressive in adding him 
last offseason to help kind of reshape their defense. Remember this time last year, Pete Carroll admitted at the combine, he said, we've been arrogant in the way we've played defense. We need to switch things up. And Desai was one of the kind of one of the guys they targeted to make some of those changes. So uh, I think he'd be a fine candidate. And I'm with you with the interview process. Like for those who read my you know, coaching rules every year. One of them, and it applies to coordinators, is just like bring everybody in. Like, yeah, yeah, I would say, Mike Zimmer, what are you doing? Just like hop on a Zoom. You don't even have to travel here. Let's talk for an hour. Talk to as many people as possible. Ask them as many questions as possible. Try to steal ideas. Maybe there's a job down the line where it makes sense to bring them in. Maybe they have some weird consultant role because they're sitting out this year. Uh, all those things. So I kind of like that aspect of it. Now we'll see who they end up with uh, in the end to make sure we still like the like the final result there. And then the other thing is just you never know when it when a guy it says art right, has chosen to kind of do something else Oftentimes that could mean that that person was not in consideration. Yeah. There's no a hundred percent way to know, but that's something to keep in mind. Like you should not be viewing this like, whoa, multiple coaches said, you know, they're keeping their, well, all right. They might not have been offered the job or they might not have been taken uh, to the second round of interviews. And if you're the Eagles, there's no benefit in like getting it out there that no, 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 we didn't, we didn't want that guy. Like yeah. it doesn't really matter to you. You want to keep those like, relationships. So that that's something else to keep in mind. For all these college defensive coordinators, I think it's like, it's good PR for them to have been interviewed by the Super Bowl attending Philadelphia Eagles for their DC job. And right. then to just say like, oh, and they're going to stay where they are. You know what I'm saying? Like Leonard's going to get his surgery. Schumann's going to stay with yeah. Georgia. doesn't look bad on the Eagles at all. I think it's great. Like other NFL teams would have just hired, you know, Gannon. Who should we hire? Sean Desai? Do they would have been done in two days. Right. So I think the Eagles is to their credit. And then it also provides great veracity to these, these guys. Right. It, it, it bumps up their resume. I'm getting it. Philadelphia Eagles won a Super Bowl, and they're talking to me about running their defense. Like I, 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 I love it. I think it's great for everybody. The the final thing you get to do in those interviews that's really cool is you get to ask them like, hey, like who who's who on your staff do you like? Like who around the, who around college do you like? Like who's cool, right? And they're like, yeah, this is twenty six year old linebacker coach I got. Who I think is great. And then you just if you're Jeffrey Lurie, you just go, okay, Bob McGee. Keep an eye on that kid. And then you just see what he does. And then, and then when Bob McGee is the defensive coordinator for South Carolina, and you have a new DC job open in four four years, guess what you do? Interview Bob McGee. How you doing, man? It's just, it's that information gathering process. You make the connections, you, you learn the names. For those who listen to Extra Point Taken, this is why a few weeks ago I ripped Bill Belichick and the Patriots for that exact reason. I mean, he could call anybody he wants. He could do whatever work he wants. He could legitimately find out who the best coaches in all of America are, and instead they're throwing parades in New England because they got Bill O'Brien back. But anyway, <laughs> listen to Extra Point Taken on the Ringer NFL feed for that. All right, so that's Desai. Uh, Brian Johnson, I think we talked about him last episode. I mean, I like the idea of promoting within. I like the oper- the idea of get- giving a black offensive coach uh, an opportunity at offensive coordinator if you think he's done a good job at quarterbacks coach. So again, that hasn't been announced yet, but I think there have been multiple reports uh, expecting that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm good with that. That's one where I'm just like, they have more information than me. The process seems fine. Trust it and go ahead. Did you have any further thoughts on Brian Johnson? No, I like, I like Brian Johnson. I like the internal promotion. Uh, the main thing, as, as I brought up before, the, the the absolute biggest thing for me is play calling. Uh, Steichen was so good calling plays on the day. Nick Sirianni didn't come into the job with a ton of play calling experience from the jump, and then his play calling wasn't super great, and they, they moved on to Shane Steichen as the play caller. Brian Johnson, obviously a super young guy, hasn't called plays at the NFL level before. I'm 98% sure he called plays at college at one stop but don't quote me on that now that i'm thinking about it, i can't recall regardless not a ton of play calling experience like actually in the headset in the eagles offensive coaching staff room i think if brian brian johnson is the promotion i think that's correct i think that's good i think it's deserving i would it would be a sort of situation where i'd be like we might let maybe we should get like a senior offensive assistant in the building like let's get mike mccoy in just as like guy who's done this a lot mike mccoy oh god no okay but Mike, they they brought up they brought up the Mike McCoy name when Steichen was first promoted to the Colts, right? When he took the job, they were like, "Go get, go get Nick and and Shane's old buddy Mike McCoy to be the OC." And I was like, "No." But a senior offensive assistant just like help Brian Johnson figure out the tempo of the week a little bit. Like Brian Johnson's very inexperienced at the NFL level. I just think like I would like to see them get a a a, a, a senior offensive voice in the room. I think that would be to their benefit. Um, but I'll be curious. To, like I, I think Johnson's a great hire. the The main question for me is is 
September 9th, whenever whenever week one kickoff is, what is the, how, how does the play calling work? What is this going to look like? Because that's what the main thing you're losing with Steichen. It's not like, oh, the system. Like Steichen wasn't running this stuff in his past spots. Like he brought this here. It's the the, the sequences. It, it, it's the ability to anticipate the counters. And you just don't know if Johnson has that until you know if he has that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, yeah, if, if you have somebody who maybe has a prior relationship with Johnson or that you know is not looking to sort of be the guy and bring him in. I don't think that's a bad idea, but I, I think their process there is fine. They have a lot of coaches uh, on the offensive side of the ball, a lot of continuity there on the offensive side of the ball. So we'll see what it looks like next year, but I'm fine with the process. Can I give you a little kind of thing to watch maybe in the next year or two with the coaching stuff that is sort of on my mind that might not be on everyone's radar? Well, if I say, say yes, I mean, if I said no, would we yeah. move on? I don't know. I'm just trying to podcast here. No, we wouldn't. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about, you know, this goes back to the Doug Peterson years and like Nick Sirianni didn't have a lot of juice when he gets hired by the Eagles, right? Even after year one, you like how they turned it around in the second half of the season. But again, you're not looking at the dynamic going like Nick Sirianni's the guy. Well, now Nick Sirianni has gotten an Eagles team to the Super Bowl. And so a lot of the coaching staff stuff that was a source of tension between Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, I just feel like it's a situation worth monitoring yes. with who gets hired here. I mean, Sirianni just seems like the kind of guy to me who would just be like, no, we're promoting within, we're promoting within, we're promoting within. We brought these guys in. They did a good job. Just bump them up. Whereas if you're Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, you might look at some of the people on staff and you might have relationships across the NFL and you might say, you know what, it might be good to get a fresh set of eyes here and let's bring this person in. That can be a very healthy process and lead to finding the best candidate. It can also be a source of tension if things don't work out. So again, I'm looking ahead and people are probably like, you know, why are you trying to stir up something that's not there? I agree. It is not there right now, but that's always a tricky dynamic in the NFL. A lot of coaches are like, would be like, you know, for other teams, like, what are you talking about? The GM and the owner, they're not going to have any say on who I hire for my coaching staff. Like I know mm -hmm. who I want to be working alongside every day. It's a different setup in Philadelphia where Roseman and Lurie are pretty uh, hands-on and they're going to have input with this kind of stuff. I think even the Vance Joseph reports that I saw out there were like, all right, they're doing a Zoom with Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie. Not that they're not also talking to Nick Sirianni, but just right. to point out that those guys uh, are involved too and we'll kind of see um, who they settle on and make sure everybody is on the same page with the hires and again specifically if things don't go wrong if things don't go right that's generally when you know someone might be like well yes. hey we wanted this guy and they wanted this guy and this is how it ended up right i couldn't possibly agree more it's such a good point because it's exactly the sort of thing that you go oh it doesn't matter because they're winning yeah that's the point things don't matter when you're winning you don't win every year it'd be nice you right. don't it gets a lot harder when Jalen Hurts on a second contract. It's a lot harder when you're not the healthiest team in the NFL. You don't win every year. And in that one year in which you lose, which which could occur for a myriad of reasons, health and, and bad luck and weird weather and just a bunch of stupid stuff, Nick Sirianni is going to you know show up to Indianapolis for the combine that year, and he's going to be getting guff from Shane Steichen, who just won the AFC South. And he's going to be like, oh, you know, what happened there, Nick? And Nick's going to be like, well, I wanted to hire, mm, go, you know, Mike McCoy to be my OC, and they didn't let me. And they hired this guy, <laughs> right? And I, I, it, it, it's the the human element of it. It's the reasoning of it. It's the, like, after it, therefore, because of it, causation sort of a, 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 a bias, where Sirianni's going to feel like, if I just had my way, we would not have suffered the embarrassment that we did. That is a, a unavoidable human reaction. And losing is also yeah. unavoidable. So it's coming. It's present. It's going to happen. Now, what I will be most curious to see is not the Nick Sirianni side of it. Because I think that like coaches get mad at general managers, and general managers get mad at coaches all the time. Like This happens pretty regularly in the NFL. I'll be interested to see in the, the Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie side of things. Because Roseman has now reached irreconcilable points with two with back-to-back -back coaches, and Chip Kelly and Doug Peterson. Chip, obviously kind of a separate conversation, but Doug won a Super Bowl and then reached an unreconcilable point. Peterson leaves and Peterson goes to Jacksonville and has like immediate success. The Eagles don't get, a, you know, there's no criticism for that because Nick Sirianni went and had immediate and greater success. Yeah. But imagine 
if the Eagles were were ten and seven this year, and just same thing as the Jaguars, like that, it'd be egg on your face. It'd be like you 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 fire this guy, and you just you know go and hire a retread, and then Doug goes to Jacksonville and and solves all their problems. Like it, it would be a legitimate concern. And so Roseman and Lori have to get better at handling this. If, if this is the way they want to run it. Lori wants to run it through Roseman. He's received a lot of criticism for that in in bad times, and he deserves a lot of credit for it in these good times. Roseman really knows how to build a contender, but. The, the next step for that pair is to figure out how to handle this this flow that they have, this unique flow, without constantly alienating the good coaches that they get into the building. That's very important for the long-term health of the Eagles. Yeah, no, that's uh, that that's well said. Again, this is more of a long-term, this is not something that typically would be an issue after even next year, but just something to keep in mind as we see who they settle on. All right, let's take a quick break, and then I'm telling you, don't turn us off. We've got some Super Bowl stuff that you're going to want to hear as you uh, accept that loss and figure out what comes next. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we are back on the Ringers Philly special. Benjamin, I don't even know where to like start with this. Like I have some takes written down. I have some observations written down. I think you watched the film when? Like the day after? Like you were all over it, I, be- I believe, right? You were, you were firing it up. What was it, the Monday after the Super Bowl or the Tuesday after the Super Bowl? I watched it, I think like the, uh, I'm trying to remember my days. I had a lot of travel. Okay. It was like Wednesday, yeah. But I, I watched it pretty much when it came out. Okay. And I was, I mean like- okay. I got to see the game live from the end zone view in the press box. And so a lot of it was like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, a, a lot of it was, was, was confirmation bias for me. Um, but what a game. It was a great game live, and it was a great game on rewatch, too. I mean, three quarters of the coaching staffs brought their stuff, man. I mean, it was that, it was sick, especially when the, uh, <laughs> Let's the Eagles there. had the ball. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Now let's start there with the defensive performance. I've done some, you know, WIP hits and people asking and trying to process this loss and Gannon goes and how much of it was Gannon and how much of it uh, was the players and what was their game plan. So just the, why don't you, you lead us off with just what you thought about Gannon and that defensive performance and how much of it was just, Hey, uh, Patrick Mahomes is really good. The majority of it was, Hey, Patrick Mahomes is really good. Like that, that, that's, I think what we anticipated coming in. And I think that was the case, uh, in the game, like Gannon gave a quote to Peter King in the week after the game that I thought was really interesting where he was like, you know, the players were prepped, the players did a great job over the, 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 the couple weeks that they were getting ready. And he said, uh, I did not do a good enough job myself to put them in position to make the play. And then I didn't do a good enough job to get out of the call what I wanted out of the call. And, and that's like a very general and kind of like vague construction, but what 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 I read into that is Gannon basically saying like, hey, like I tried to blitz 
Because he did. He sent some blitzes. Like, hey, like, I tried to confuse him. Because he did. He, like, he ran some rotations. He just didn't do it at the right times with the correct disguise. To, he, didn't, he didn't get the fruit of the labor, right? He, he tried to pitch some of the stuff that, that, like, you know, he receives criticism for not pitching. And it just didn't work. To which I would respond, well, yeah, man. You didn't do it all season. Your team doesn't know how to do it. You don't know how to do it, right? Brian Dawkins. No, no, no. Westbrook. Dawkins? I think it was Dawkins, actually. No, Dawkins. Dawkins. Yeah. No, Dawkins, Dawkins yeah. made the point on a radio hand, the media wake of the combine. He's like, this is why you got a blitz in the season. So when you need it, you know how to do it. And 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 that I couldn't agree more fervently with that point. That's some of the stuff that I've talked about. Like I remember when we were talking about Jordan Davis in the five-man fronts early in the season. It was like, well, you have to run this now to figure out if you can, to figure out what you can do from it. Like you, you, you gotta press these buttons. And Gannon just didn't spend enough time over the course of the season pressing those buttons, such that they were ineffective. Um, so I, I, that stood out to me defensively. And then the other thing was, uh, I don't want to totally rehash this conversation, but the field quality and the degree to which it impacted the teams, uh, I think there's there's a, a prevalent belief on like Philly sports Twitter and Philly media right now that like it it the poor field quality more negatively affected the Eagles who rely on their pass rush more than the Chiefs who don't rely on their pass rush as much and that the pa- the, the the field quality was particularly detrimental to pass rush I think that's true to a small degree I think the degree is being inflated right now to how much that mattered I think the Eagles equipment managers could have solved the problem better and could have, you know, the, the Eagles players could have done a better job in warmups, figuring it out. Like, uh, at the end of the day, the Eagles got zero sacks because the Chiefs offensive line played really well. Mahomes played really, really well. And yeah, because the field mattered a little bit. But to me, like, it wasn't going back on rewatch. Like, you can pull a bunch of clips if you want of like Javon Hargrave falling over out of a stance. Like, that's because of the field. That sucks. That's a wasted Javon Hargrave rep. That blows because the Eagles need Javon Hargrave. He's great. But altogether, in totality, I don't think it's fair to say, like, the field was the difference. I think it mattered. I don't think it was the difference. You're, ma- See, I you're making the Let's face you the- make whenever you disagree with me. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought I thought you were going to go. I, I'm actually surprised because I felt differently about the field thing. I don't even know that I mentioned it after the game. And then on film, I was like, oh, my gosh. But you do make a good point about like the, the adjustment. I mean, I think it was Ollie Connolly who charted how often each team, you know, how what percentage of plays each team slipped. And the Eagles slipped on a lot more plays than the Chiefs. So there was like at least some adjustment to be made. I was watching the uh, mic'd up segment and Travis Kelsey was telling the players, like I think with like the areas where the field was painted, he was saying like, watch out, that's really slippery. And just like the first possession, the first Eagles first defensive possession, I mean, they have mm-hmm. multiple plays where multiple defensive linemen are on the ground uh, because they slipped. And I actually, it was the specific areas like Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick, I feel like I, I again I didn't chart this, but watching it, I'm like these are the guys who are slipping the most. And what did we talk about leading up to the game? If the Eagles win this game, Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick have to win those battles against the Chiefs' offensive tackle. So I thought it was a, I thought it was a factor. Um, at the same time, there's reps where the Chiefs' offensive line is just manhandling the yeah. Eagles' uh, defensive line. So they absolutely did uh, did win that battle there for sure. So. You know, I just watched this defensive performance, and I go back to what you said in the beginning. Three out of four coaches. Actually, I don't even know if I totally agree with that, but I just felt like, give me a break with this freaking defensive game plan. How did you have two weeks and this is what you're coming out and playing? I mean, the first possession, like, did they not know who Travis Kelsey was? Had they not heard of him previously? I understand most of the time your special covers to your designer stuff comes out on third down and red zone. Well, when you go the first 12 plays of the game and you don't even have a third down, you can't break it out, break it out. But did you really think that playing your safeties 25 yards off the line of scrimmage and then letting Travis Kelsey run in space against TJ Edwards, even though he's slipping, uh, is going to be a rest? for success I mean come on the middle of the field was wide open for the Kansas City Chiefs it was so freaking easy for Patrick Mahomes on on some of these plays it was a no resistance game that we talked about all of 2020 this was a no resistance game there were some plays where yes he probably felt a little trickle of sweat in his armpit that you know Jordan Davis almost had him once there were a couple scrambles in there Mm -hmm. the majority of this game this was a no sweat armpit game for Patrick Mahomes it was one of the highest density games in terms of Mahomes targeting the middle of the field in his career, right? Like, I mean, they just yeah. lived between the numbers, which, you know, I don't like, I earnestly don't like doing this, but like, could have told you. Like, 
you look at the Eagles defense, you go, okay, Darius Slice is really good, and James Bradbury is really good, and then here's TJ Edwards, Avante Maddox, and Marcus Epps. Like, it's just very clearly the weak point of the defense. And, like, if, if, if I were to, like, my long-standing issues with, with Gannon, I think, are clear. I think we've talked about them a lot over the course of, like, a season doing this, and even in, like, the preseason, like, it was all we talked about was how we felt about Gannon coming out of 2021, and, and I think all that is clear in terms of philosophy and in terms of giving stuff up and elite quarterbacks, whatever. If I were to summarize my issues with, like, just the Chiefs game, like, just the two weeks before the Chiefs game and the Chiefs game, the thing that that for, that I come back to mentally is, like, you got to... You, you got to confident in 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 your guys like all like tj edwards have been so doubted like marcus epps been so doubted they brought us here like these guys are so good yeah but not against travis kelsey man like you have to know you have to have self-awareness that like the other guys get two weeks too they're gonna be able to find the players right like darius slay doesn't get to impact the game at all He's so good, but he doesn't get you because you don't have the ability to force the ball his way. You don't have the the scale tipping necessary. The the there's just such a, la- a lack of awareness in Gannon's defense. Like not a, like the players are aware. They have like great play recognition, but it's the lack of like larger awareness. I, I I experience a lack of respect for opposing elite quarterbacks. I I experience a lack of respect for opposing elite offensive coordinators. Where like Gannon always is like flabbergasted that guys like figured out oh oh they're beating us with this motion. Like, yeah man, they've been working. But they 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 get money too, dude. Like I it, I, he just sometimes like this is so much projecting. But so much sometimes he just feels it's too big for his boots. Like, dude, you gotta know this is the NFL, this is the Super Bowl, it's February football. You gotta come with more than this. There was no plan B once the pass rush wasn't winning. And, you know, others, I think it was Dayton Is who pointed out that there was an Eagles game against the Jaguars uh in London where Jim Schwartz had his highest blitz percentage of all time and was asked about it afterwards and was like, yeah, that's because we couldn't rush the passer on that field. It was too slippery and there was no plan B here uh, for the Eagles in that respect. And then to speak to what you just said, I mean, it was such a mismatch, Andy Reid, against Gannon. I'm sorry. It just was. I'm we're not, I'm not trying to spike the football and return to priors. I mean, he pantsed him. Reed pantsed him in every single high leverage situation in that game. You mentioned it. They're running that they're running motion all game long. Then they get in the red zone. Oh, they'll return. We know how you guys are covering that return motion. Boom. Not once, but twice. I mean, who can remember the last time you saw players that wide open in the red zone? Like that doesn't happen in high school. That doesn't happen in college. It sure does not happen in the NFL. Right. And it happened twice so, uh, in that game. Yeah, and those those plays are really really important because the second touchdown, the one to Kadarius Tony, this is the first one with that little return motion, that yo-yo motion. Uh, Eagles are in their ba- their usual defense. The Chiefs know that they're going to try to 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 ch- exchange that motion. They're trying to give it away to a different player. Uh, Kadarius Tony runs that motion, and then Darius Slay and Avante Maddox miscommunicate. They both go to leave their responsibilities, and that's why Kadarius Tony is wide open. So they try to use the usual coverage check that they can use. The Chiefs know it's coming. They take advantage of it. Six points. They get down to the red zone on the next next drive after the Kadarius Tony punt return. Now it's Sky Moore. They do the same motion with Sky Moore. The Eagles aren't in the same defense, right? A lot of what we complain about with Gannon is he's just in the same stuff all the time. They weren't in the same stuff. They weren't. They were blitzing. They were sending zero. They, they, they were in cover zero. They were sending the house. TJ Edwards and Kaiser White both coming from depth. They were blitzing. Two players from depth. First time all season or something. And Avante Maddox just way, way, way overplays the motion. Skymore returns back. Touchdown. So knock on Maddox. You should have... They just did this to you, to your guys, last drive. You got to respect the fact that this might not be real motion. It might be going back to the, the pylon. But this is where with Gannon you go... They're not used to blitzing. <laughs> They're not accustomed to doing this. Maddox is terrified that he's going to get outrun on this motion because usually he's allowed to hand it off, but he can't hand it off because you're blitzing. And so he's sprinting to go catch up to Sky Moore, and then Sky Moore's back to the pylon. This is inexperience in the call. This is not being used to doing this. This is why you got to run other stuff sometimes. So you actually have a menu when push comes to shove. 
Which, by the way, if you watched the mic'd up segment, Mahomes is literally yelling at the line of scrimmage, it's zero, it's zero. It's, they were yep. in the wrong formation. He got them in the right formation, and they scored uh, a touchdown there. Ted Wynn pointed out Jaguars did the exact same thing to him earlier this season in the red zone. To your point that Andy Reid was watching film during the two weeks and coming up ways with how to attack the Eagles in the red zone. So you had those two. You had the screen, which I know was just a small play, but where everyone's looking at the sideline which I loved where Kelsey's looking confused and the left guard and the left tackle are standing up and if you pause it when the ball is snapped the Eagles literally have three defenders who's like their heads are turned around They're, they do not anticipate anything happen and the Chiefs pick up a quick seven yards again an inconsequential play in the game but another example of is the coach giving his unit an edge or is he not giving his unit an edge the, the fake swing screen into the wheel they got the Eagles uh, on that one I mean in this game Mahomes Holmes, to what we said earlier, attempted one pass of 20 plus yards, one pass, completed zero, did not have to hold the ball, did not have to push the ball downfield, did not have to make tight window throws. I think it was 7% of his attempts were into tight windows. That's it, allowing him to get rid of the football and then the pass rush is not working. So uh, those are some of the things that stood out with the defense in this game. And then just to address the idea that, hey, it's the Chief, it's Mahomes and Reed. Come on, Sheil, you're being too hard on the Eagles. They do this to everybody. No, not to this degree. And so some data to back that up. This was the second time all season the Chiefs went an entire game without giving up a sack or a turnover. It was the fourth time in Mahomes' entire career that the Chiefs didn't give up a sack, didn't give up a turnover, and produced at least four touchdowns on offense. It was the fifth time by any team all season in which they had eight or fewer drives and still scored four touchdowns on eight or fewer drives, the fifth time all time by any season. By the way, ready for this one, Ben? Since no, 2000, I didn't like any of the other only, ones. I thought you already yeah, did You don't like, oh, there's more. Sorry. No. So since 2000, it's only happened to the Eagles twice where an opponent has had eight or fewer drives and still scored four touchdowns. One time, obviously the Super Bowl. The other time, last year against, against the, the Kansas Chiefs, City yeah. Chiefs. Jonathan Cannon against the Chiefs last year. So if we're just looking at percentiles, and I'll end it here with the defensive rant, that was a 94th percentile game for the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes in terms of offensive success rate. That was an 87th percentile game in terms of EPA per drive for Mahomes. Again, this is just the sample is all Mahomes games, not all NFL games, not all Mahomes games, 94th percentile game, 87th percentile game. And so if you are an Eagles fan, what is hard to swallow from this Super Bowl loss, and there's many things, we'll get to a couple other ones, is that Howie Roseman built a defense littered with all pros. Every starter was healthy for this game. If you force Patrick Mahomes into like a 75th percentile game, you didn't even have to get him to average, just like really above average, but not elite, a 75th percentile mm-hmm. game, you're probably Super Bowl champs and you were unable to do that. All right. That's all I got to say about the defense. No, let me finish okay. with this on the defense. I am very happy to not have to watch any more film. of. I'm sorry. Jai, listen, the defense was good this year. They improved from last year. Yes, we'll give him credit. I am very excited to not have to watch a Jonathan Gannon defense on film for this podcast next year. I don't care who they hire. And again, the defense is going to regress because they're not going to be as healthy. They're not going to be as talented. They're not going to get the same turnovers. They're not going to get the same sacks. But you know what? In a one-game situation against a good quarterback... Uh, maybe you'll feel a little bit better about them than you did going into the Super Bowl. Did I miss anything on the defense? I'm just worried you're going to be eating those words when we watch a Sean decide defense do largely I don't the care. same stuff. It's okay. <laughs> I don't care. Sports Indian, so we're pro Sean Desai. <laughs> that that that's right. Is there room in Philadelphia for like both of us, or do I need to like move and do something else here? Uh, or should or do we need a text thread? Maybe me, him, Nagandi. That's what I was gonna say. Uh, I feel I'm like trying you to think who else we con- could get on that. Continue to consolidate power is would be my main. I'm thing. gonna support him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna support right. when, when it's like week ten next year and their defense stinks and you're like, why is Shield still telling me Sean Desai is doing a good job? Just you know, give me a Agendas, hashtag. Man, we got work to get done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I we will. All, got um, that. all right. Let me here. Let <laughs> Cliff me. Cliff says let me, strength in numbers. Yeah. That's right. Let me transition us and say like to me, one of the most heartbreaking things about that 94th percentile Patrick Mahomes game, 88th percentile by EPA is that I don't have the numbers for like Jalen Hurts games, but just for like 
offenses this season, the Eagles' offensive performance was 76th percentile in EPA per play. Their success rate, 49%, was 79th percentile. Their series conversion rate was 88th percentile. Right, Jalen Hurts, 0.25 EPA per play, 74th percentile. This was an awesome Jalen Hurts game, Eagles offensive game. Completely wasted. Not like completely, because it was still, it was very close, and they did a very good job, and we're proud of them, but wasted. Like Again, like, you just needed wet noodle resistance. You needed wet washcloth resistance. You needed yeah. any, just like a blade of grass resistance, and you couldn't even have that to, to pay off a 35-point performance, a, a, a go-ahead drive in the fourth quarter. Like, it, this was it, man. Like, the, you, you got... The, the Super Bowl caliber offensive game that everybody thought you would, and you just couldn't do enough. And that, that to me is heartbreaking. By the way, the only, the only way you don't have a chance to win that game at the end is if your defense gives up three touchdowns and then on the fourth drive gives up a drive that takes up five minutes and 15 seconds. That's the only way your offense yeah. doesn't. Like if you let them score right away, then your offense still has a chance. That was literally the only way to not give Hurts a chance. Now with the offense, and I, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. My biggest change of opinion for this game when watching the film was on the offense, not the defense. Because when I watched the defense live, I said the defense sucked. And then I watched the defense on film <laughs> and I said the defense sucked. Yeah. When I watched the offense live, I thought, all right, this is a combination of Hurts being really good and the coaching being really good. When I watched the game on film, I came away thinking Hurts kind of put the team on his back. And actually the offensive coaches did not exactly give them an edge that like a lot of games this year we've we've come on here and been like wow you don't agree with that okay so i I would be curious to hear uh where where you disagree i felt like in a lot of big situations it was jail it was individual players making unbelievable plays and not necessarily the eagles offensive coaches like scheming something up like i just mentioned all those examples with andy Reid to put them in position to succeed so where did you see the eagles offensive coaches giving them an edge? i just i It's not that. I I would just say that I don't think that sensation of like in all these laid down situations, the Eagles players are putting the team on their back. Their incredible players are taking over. I don't think that's distinct from the entire season. To me, that's that's been the whole year. Right. Like the Eagles, uh, uh, their coaching staff does a great job of like keeping the team out of third and long. And they certainly saw a few third and longs in this game. The coaching staff does a great job trusting them on fourth downs. And they certainly they saw their fourth down opportunities in this game. And then critically, they passed on one. I think we can talk about that one as a high leverage uh, of a play is that that was the fourth and two punt that Nick Sirianni uh, uh, took, you know, and like talk about first world problems we're like man our coach didn't go for on fourth and two from the 33 like at least we're having that conversation every other coach in the, in the league like you're not even getting close to this um so that there's there's i think there's little stuff to point at and, and and talk to but like dallas goddard's making contested catches that are just insane right like the the, the ball he robbed off leo chanel's head the catch he made over legerius sneed's fingers which like that looks like a great throw from hertz because Sneed stumbles out of his break like that very easily could have been played upon and like Hertz is just kind of putting a 50-50 ball up there and asking Goddard to pay him off and Goddard's paying him off through contact AJ Brown got lit up by Justin Reed on that first drive is paying him off through contact right the the, the Jalen Hurts scrambles are like part of the offense right like they they pretty quickly figured out like all right we're gonna have a tough time running the football like handing the ball off here because the Chiefs are run blitzing everything right the Chiefs had three linebackers on the field Leo Chanel, Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, something they didn't typically do run that base defense during the season. And they're just sending dudes to the line. They're like, screw your blocking schemes. We're, we're, we're causing problems. And Eagles said, all right, we're going to flood deep, and then we're going to use Jalen Hurts to scramble and use him to replace our running game. And that, like, on a film watch, it's like, wow, like Jalen Hurts putting the team on his back. But the Eagles have been doing that all year. Like, that's been their response to this sort of approach all the time. They say, like, all right, well, structurally, we're just going to change how we run the football now. And they found success. So to me, like... I agree with you. Like it, it, it absolutely was like a like Hertz made some hero throws, right? Like the AJ Brown touchdown, which like into double coverage, just don't care. I trust my guy. Like that was insane. Like the Dallas Goddard throw to the to the sideline, not the little Jerry Sneed one, but the other one. That was an incredible throw. Like he had the throw on the move uh, on the rollout to Zach Pascal. Unbelievable throw. He had some absolute no question here on his back plays. But that's how the Eagles offense works. Is that they figure out, all right, where our one or one's going to be, where our numbers advantage is going to be, and then, oh, turns out we have a star player there. Whoops, <laughs> who could have seen this coming? And to me, that's, that's yeah. been them all season. Yeah, I, I thought watching that 
that was required more of Hurts in this game than it typically is. But you, you make, yeah, certainly uh, some of that has been part of their offense all season long. But I mean, just some of the stuff I wrote down, and, and these are some plays you mentioned, the 11-yard scramble by Hurts, uh, the second reaction RPO to Devontae Smith that goes nice for 23 play. yards. Like you mentioned, the 45-yard touchdown to A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith is running the shallower route. Uh, and I think even, uh, again, on the mic'd up thing, he was like, if you weren't going to score there, I was going to score there. And it goes to A.J. Brown. I mean, an unbelievable adjustment yeah. uh, on Which that play everybody, for a touchdown. Everybody was like, your A.J. Brown faked out Trent McDuffie. I don't think he did. I think he just found the ball late. <laughs> And did what A.J. Brown Reacted, does, which is yeah. adjust to the play. Yeah. If he did fake him out, which I don't trust A.J. Brown's opinion on this. He's like, yeah, I faked him out. I He's a wide receiver. He's lying. If he did, though, earnestly, yeah. that's one of the most amazing plays I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt about it. You mentioned... Hurt spinning away from the free rusher and finding uh, Pascal rolling to his left. Uh, the Hurts 28-yard run on fourth and five. That's a designed run, but he still has to make a pretty impressive play to make that into a 28-yard run. You mentioned the two throws uh, to Goddard. I mean, those are just uh, very, very impressive. And then the two-point conversion, Ben. I mean, man, if they yeah. win the Super Bowl, and man, maybe it still will be, but my God, that if you just pause that film, like... You know what? And actually, I was texting with Coach Flynn uh, on this, and it was funny. Pascal, the play before, gets real. I think it was McDuffie. He thought McDuffie like punched him in the face or something. So you can see Pascal at the line of scrimmage, literally before the ball is snapped, is like pointing at, Mc, pointing at McDuffie, like, I'm about to give you something right here. Goes after him so hard and just whips. And so McDuffie <laughs> just kind of gives him, uh, you know, the the uh, the Olay and is up. And so there are literally four guys on. On Hertz before he's crossed the end zone, but that fact that we've heard for every Jalen Hurts broadcast about the man squats 600 pounds, well, uh, that was an example of him just powering through yep. and getting uh, getting into the end zone. So I just thought Hurts. I mean, it, it wasn't. I'm not saying it was like a perfect game. You can point to uh, some stuff that was missed, was but the high level plays. Yeah, I mean, the high-level plays he made in this game and just the perseverance that we've talked about where you have a fumble in front of, what, 100 million people watching on TV where the ball just slips yeah. out of your hand and the Chiefs score a touchdown and the very next drive, all right, we're going 75 yards and scoring a touchdown. I mean, he just is built different. His makeup is exactly what you want from a starting quarterback. But I just came away thinking, like, man, if Hurts wasn't Superman in this game, like, they might lose the game by double digits. I, I, honestly, I, I felt like there yeah. were let, there were fewer layups and fewer. How many times did we come on after a game and be like, man, that kind of felt too easy. They were just going up and down the field. Like this one, to me at least, felt differently where it was like, right. yeah, the players are making great plays, but the scheming stuff is not leading me to think this is really coming all that easy. I agree with everyone who said the Chiefs defense actually had a good game plan and played well, and the Eagles' individual players kind of just came up big in uh, in big spots for him. What about the 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 like the empty spread to QB run stuff? Like to me, that's a huge like Eagles dialed that up yeah, from the that's coaching staff perspective. Like they're just motioning game out of the backfield, they're sending Sanders out, and they're running this QB draw stuff, which obviously they have the fumble six on that play, mm -hmm. but then they come back on fourth and six on the next drive, and Hurts rips off a twenty yard run. Right, I thought that that uh, they they scored on, on on a run that was designed quarterback run, and like you can't do that without Hurts. You also can't do that without a running quarterback like Hurts, in the sense that we've been talking about this since the Vikings game in Week Two. Big fella, healthy young man. This ain't no Lamar Jackson out here string bean making guys miss. He can hit a son of gun. All right, so you're running between the tackles, right? That two point conversion. That's a fullback right there. Like that, it is. Yeah, that's It true. is distinct. Like the Eagles are so good in short yardage, not just because they have a mobile quarterback, but because they have a dense young man in Jalen Hurts who can move a, po yeah. a pocket, a move a pile. Excuse me. Um, but that design quarterback running game, like that's stuff that they haven't been putting out too much of, like occasionally, but not too much of over the course of the season. To me, that 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 like again, like that looks like Jalen Hurts Superman, and is to a degree because he needs to be that physical of a rusher that unique of a running quarterback in order for it to work but also the credit does belong to the the eagles coaching staff where they said all right you want to go three linebackers on the field empty set five wide this sucks for you doesn't it and they get those those plays where there's no second level defender there's one second level defender it's just nick bolton and then it becomes jalen hurts versus nick bolton and you tell steve spagnolo listen if you don't play jalen hurts versus nick bolton all night we're gonna score 35 points and that's exactly what they did it wasn't enough but that's exactly what they did yeah, no, that that is uh, 
That's certainly true. Uh, and then I just had some leftover nuggets here. Uh, I thought, uh, I think I've mentioned the YouTube page before the QB school with JT O'Sullivan. He does a really good job. He was really taking the Eagles to task with some of their protection stuff uh, in, in this game. You know, the Hurts fumble, they get a free rusher there um, in the B gap. That was obviously a disastrous sequence where you fail to convert on second and one with Gainwell. I think he slipped on that play. Then you have a Sayamalu false fall start, and then you have the fumble there. Um, there was a sequence I was pointing out here. I didn't like their the way they handled the end of the first half. I mean, 15 seconds left from the Kansas City 19. And if you watch it on film, they've got nothing going to the end zone. Like, what's the point there? You know, if you're going to take a shot, uh, take a shot there. So it's not a matter of just he didn't go to the end zone. They didn't have anything actually going to the end zone um, on that play. Hurts, I thought maybe his best play of the game was the throw to Quez. I mean, zero blitz. Would have given the Eagles the ball inside the Kansas City 10. That's a pl- that's a drive that ends in a field yeah. goal. If you watch the protection, Sanders and Goddard both block the same guy and leave a free rusher. Like, there's not supposed to be a free rusher on that play. And Hurts just sits in there. And my gosh, I don't know that you could throw it any better. And Quez Watkins doesn't, uh, doesn't come down with it. So that was certainly... A missed opportunity. Uh, a couple Quez, other. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Bananas, in terms of <laughs> of the throw and the move and where he ends up putting that ball. Because I thought that the first half, like they'd obviously score points, they'd they'd been great and whatever. But Hertz to me was having like a good day throwing the ball. He wasn't having like a particularly like oh wow whatever. Yeah. Then he came out in the half, second next half level. and just starts ripping <laughs> that throw to Quest yeah. was an eye opener. Yeah. Even the uh, the throw to Devontae Smith that got ruled incomplete. I mean, that was a fantastic Over the outside throw, shoulder, man. Uh, I thought, Jalen Hurts in a go yeah, ball. Right. Ain't no problem. Oh, man. He he, he was feeling it. Uh, they called two screens to Dallas Goddard that were set up nicely, and he slipped on both of them. One of them was second and 11 uh, on a field goal drive at the end of the third quarter. And I thought on that one, the very next play was one of Hertz's a few bad throws, I thought, where he kind of throws behind Kenny Gainwell there, where if it's out in front of him, yeah. maybe he has a chance mm-hmm. to get you in a spot where at least you're, you're going for it on fourth down. Instead, it was like fourth and six, and they ended up kicking a field goal. So I thought that was a pretty big stretch, those uh, back-to-back plays there. What else did I have here? Uh, third and three. Busted protection. They leave uh, Willie Gay, I think, was on the line of scrimmage. They just leave him unblocked, even though they had seven guys in to protect. And Jalen Hurts, I think, scrambled out the, you know, out, out to the left and threw it away. They had all downfield routes where it's third and three. Uh, I thought that was worth second guessing there. And then the last one, the 45-yard completion to Devontae Smith on four verts down mm-hmm. the left sideline. It wasn't a good throw. If it's a good throw, and this is very like probably doesn't matter, but listen, these are my notes. I'm getting them all out of the way here. Uh, If that's a better throw and he scores a touchdown, you're saving like 18 seconds. You get the ball back with 18 more seconds. You only need a field goal there. Like that was one where I was like, oh man, if he just kind of put that on him. The tough thing about that is like you you found a pot of gold, right? Like Legereus Sneed busts. Total, right. just completely and they totally busted, just yeah. guessing whatever and so you're throwing that not thinking you were going to have that and so you're just kind of like get it up <laughs> go downfield make it catchable <laughs> yeah. you're not even like thinking like i lead them you're just like okay before they re- the chiefs realize what they did i gotta get the ball out um i think their note on protection yeah. i the protections thing is tricky to me the eagles have been bad at this all year this was not like a one game thing like anytime they get blitz looks they're letting free guys go they're having double block issues and be doing this all season third and three all the routes downfield they've been doing that all season They've been getting away with it because Hertz is the check down, right? Hertz is not going to throw a negative three yard pass to the swing uh, to the swing to the running back anyway. So you might as well just send everybody down the field, pull the zones deep, and then have Hertz be the check down. It's like they've been getting away with this stuff. The Chiefs were able to make them pay for it in 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 those small spots in which Spags was so good and they got lucky situationally and so on and so forth. Uh, the protection stuff I don't think is ever. I don't think like it's like a it's not like a Kelsey issue. It's not like a line communication issue. It's just that like the defense puts looks on the field that are hard to handle. And when you don't have a back you can trust, you're you're always going to be between a rock and a hard place. The number one thing that I took away from the Eagles' struggles in protection and with blitz calls is I will eat my hat if they don't acquire a back either through free agency or the draft who's known for pass protecting. They just they 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 tried it with Kenny. 
They tried it with Sanders, and they just didn't have a guy who reliably hit a dude that he was supposed to hit. They just they didn't even have it all season. They did their best. They really did. They just, this, those two dudes just didn't have it. So whether they, they bring in a guy in free agency, you go get you a Damian Harris, Harris from New England, or they, 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 they draft a guy who's just a veteran. I haven't watched the backs closely enough to know who's good in pass protection yet, but go get a guy who, who's good. They will bring in a running back who they can put on the field on third down, and he can, stun, he can hit a linebacker one-on-one. That's going to be like a huge priority for this team on day three because it's such an easy fix if you just get that guy in the building. Yeah, I always look at that and go, shouldn't you be able to coach the backs to do that? But you're right. I mean, they had all season and it was still uh, it, it was still an issue. So it's hard it's, to it's, know uh, when it's, it's coaching when it's not coaching. You, you can do it. Like, I think you can do a degree, but a lot of it is just want to. Pass protecting sucks. Yeah. It's very physically painful. And when you're Kenny Gainwell, you're kind of like, Nah, like, oh, let me go. Let me go on a route. Yeah, toss me that thing, man. So I'll make. I'll make. You know, uh, who do you make miss? Willie Gay. I'll make Willie Gay miss or Dre Greenlaw in the in the, the championship game. I'll make him miss. Like you do that yeah. on third and seven, and you go, Coach. You see that? A little more of that. How about that? It's a lot, it's a lot better now, isn't it? You know, and that's the thing. A lot of it's a want to aspect. Maybe that's a yeah. Maybe that's the move. You need the guy who's fighting for his NFL life, where it's like I'm gonna be working a real job if I don't. Uh, you know, you do like a Corey Clement, right? He was a, he was able to do it. The guy was fighting for his NFL life. So maybe yeah. that's what you look for. Just you don't don't even use a day through. Get the undrafted guy. That's his one skill. That's all he has to do. Play Get a special, special teamer who you'll can be pass back. And then when you yeah. put him out, he still has enough hands to catch. Right? Would you get like I don't know the name yet. I'll yeah. know the name by April. Doesn't fumble. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you, you need the dude. Because it's not going to be Kenny. It's not going to be Sanders. So it's got to be somebody. <laughs> they got a lot to figure out. Running backs, safety, legends, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Jason Kelsey, linebacker, by the way. I thought there was a real difference in linebacker play in this game where some of those you know plays where the, the Chiefs linebackers are like able to play both the give and the keep with Hurts. You're like, all right, that speed's showing up. Yeah, that is not showing up for the Eagles linebackers. So do they make uh, a move there? Jalen Hurts, is he getting... 47, 50 million a year. How much is guaranteed? Does he get signed before Burrow and Herbert and Lamar Jackson? So much to figure out. We will talk about all of it. Uh, I think Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni will be talking at the Combine, I believe, Mm -hmm. on Wednesday. We'll see what they say. Maybe come back and do another pod after that, and then we'll just be in full off-season mode, trades, free agency, draft, all of that going forward. Oh, Cliff, all right. Cliff, finish the pod. Get your uh, let, let's hear what it was like uh, in Philly for the Super Bowl, and then we'll sign off. Bro, so I was uh, I had the pleasure of being invited to a, a private Super Bowl party okay. at uh, mm-hmm. Adobe Cafe mm-hmm. on Eighth uh, and Fitzwater for my boys from back home, and uh, it was a fun time. It's a great time. Game is flowing. Obviously, you know, obviously scores going back and forth. Eagles made some great plays. Chiefs made some great plays. And I say everything all went downhill once the flag was called. Once Bradbury got called for that flag, literally, I didn't, I never heard so much silence in Eagles fans ever. Like we were in a, in a room in the back of this bar and the flag, the flag is called and you could hear a pin drop. Like the rest, mind you, there's still, you know, a minute and a half left of that game and no one is talking. Once all you hear is F that call, that was a BS call. This is unreal. People holding their hands, uh, putting their uh, putting their head in their uh, hands. Uh, one of my one of my close friends. I'm not going to say no names. Uh, I thought he was about to cry, and and immediately everybody, you know, the game's over. Everybody's hugging and whatnot. They're like, "Yeah, tough loss, great season, blah blah blah." I'm still trying to process it because you know I'm a diehard fan myself, so it hurt me as well. So uh, the Ubers weren't like a thing that night for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Like they just, for some reason, the city decided to, to shut, shut down, down Center yeah. City and yep. just completely ruined the flow of traffic and Ubers just weren't allowed to be maneuvered. I stayed at a hotel in Center City because it'd be damn near impossible to get back to my parents' crib up in Oakland's Park uh, after the game, you know, depending on whether they won or lost. So, I, you know, I planned ahead, obviously got the hotel at the, at, I think it was um like the Hilton Inn in like Chinatown somewhere. And so I make the walk from 8th and Fitzwater up to Center City, which is like a little, like a 30-minute walk, right? The streets were so – no one was saying anything. Mm. The streets were so quiet. I could I could hear the cars moving. I could hear people honking their horns. But, like, there's a ton of people walking on the street. I walked down 
I walked past South Street. That's the quietest I ever heard South wow. Street ever. Like you, you, I didn't hear a single word from anybody. Everybody just dejected from the loss. No, nobody wanted to be around anyone anymore. Everybody just rushed home. It was raining out a little bit, so the move was just destroyed. Yeah. And and guess what we got now? We have the Sixers to rely on. That's it. <laughs> At least the Phillies are starting soon. Phillies too. spring like, training. This is the hope. Started this weekend. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. But, I remember that Bucks uh, championship game loss at the vet, and it's so quiet afterwards. And one guy just jumped up and like slapped a thing like above a doorway and just go, "This is the most blatant, <laughs> depressing city uh, in America." But like everyone could hear that because it's like you said, there are different uh, reactions to losses. There's the anger, and then there's just like you said, like the silence and kind of the sadness where no one really uh, knows how to react. They don't feel like, right. you know, if it's like the Cowboys, they feel like probably like, you know, fighting people. But this is like, all right, it's played in um, Phoenix and it's the Chiefs. It's yeah. not, you don't have that same, yeah. it's just kind of like a sadness yeah. that it's over. So uh, that makes sense. Right. And I still saw, I still saw a video of people like in Center City later that night. I don't know what the hell they were doing. They were either, because the streets were still, uh, the police blocked the streets off near City yeah. Hall. So I don't know what they were, they were either celebrating or releasing their anger on something. I remember the Sixers played the Rockets the next night and Jabari Smith was in the hotel. Uh, uh, he's the the Rockets yeah. uh, power forward. I think he was number three overall pick last year. He was literally in the hotel and he, uh, he put a video up of like, yo, can y'all go home? I have to play and beat tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> like, and there, there was a lot, yo, there was like actually a decent amount of people in the streets after that time. But I was like, what the hell are y'all doing? Yeah. Like, why y'all, what are y'all out there for? Like, what is there to celebrate? Yeah. Like, it was, it was, man, that was one of the worst scenes I ever seen just like walking the streets of Philadelphia of like just how dead it was. Like yeah. everyone just like not feeling it anymore. Like I said, I seen grown men damn near crying. It yeah. was, it was crazy. It was, it was super crazy, but there you go. You know, right. like, I said, well, we, like I said, that made me sad. I got, got okay. Hey. And now I'm sad again. <laughs> <laughs> Ben, Ben, can you tell us what we're going to do in the draft? Can we do brother, can we get brother, some brother, type brother, of good news from that? Anything? Christian Gonzalez yeah. highlights? Devon Witherspoon highlights? Yeah, yeah. Joey Porter Jr. highlights? Yeah. Keely Ringo highlights? Get your mind right. So, it's no problem, it's, baby. Corner at 10 all the way. Bijan Robinson highlights? I've, Running back at 30. We're going home. Here we go. It's it's funny you say that because those are literally like the three players that everyone in all my Eagles chats are talking about. Joey Porter Jr., Christian Gonzalez, and Bijan Robinson. Crazy. This corner crazy. class is just said mean, that. baby. So, We're going to be all right. Yes, let's do it. We'll be in good hands, good thing. We'll be in good that hands. That is a good thing for the Eagles. All right, Cliff just put a bow on it, a bow on the Super Bowl for us. We put a bow on it with our film takes. We will be back to talk more about the Eagles and whatever else on the next Ringers Philly special. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon.